some of that new gritty. With me tonight is Gary. Gotta go to an order today. Oh wow, you caught me off guard, man. No. How are you doing, Phil? You know, fighting a good fight. All right. Reading comic books, talking up random things. You know how I live life. Actually, um, I started messing around with the uh. Marvel United board game, which is really cool. And uh, while people are listening to this, there is actually a second Kickstarter going for an X-Men version of it, which uh, looks pretty promising. So that's what I'm up to. I, I made the mistake of taking my son into a uh, comic shop that specializes in board games as well. And he wants them all. You did text me about a couple. Yeah, well, we, start, we started with a Sonic one. Um, but yeah, I think it's, uh, Warlock and it's, there's lots of it. There's, I will, I will tell you, it's a dangerous hobby. I have, I'm talking shelves on shelves of games. It's bad. It's really bad. Mm. But we play so. Darren, what's with that face? Oh, no, I just looked at Phil's, uh, <laughs> document and I really like his selections. Or should I say, I really don't like his selections to come in for our uh, first segment there. Yeah, we'll get to there in a moment. I had to share it with you guys. I thought the visual aid will help. And, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, will, yeah. We have the same I sensibilities in that. Marvel stuff yeah. from the 90s uh, is definitely, well, <laughs> they had issues for sure. When uh, when we upload this, I'll try to remember and include images on Instagram as well. But we'll get to that in a second. Obviously, Darren is here since he's already part of the conversation. But the more quiet guy chuckling from time to time is Matt. How's it going, Matt? Doing well, thank you. It's been a beautiful weather here in Ohio, so I've gotten the opportunity to get on the bike these last couple of days, so I've been really excited. I know I was talking about that with you before, Phil, but just awesome, awesome, awesome. Very happy. It is good to get out of the house after being locked in it for so long. Oh, yep. Oh, man, it's a good feeling. But we may as well jump right into this, right, guys? What so else tonight, would we do? Are... <laughs> what what else that? would we do? Uh, we sit here, look at each other. Forget that it's an audio medium. Make our <laughs> listeners real mad at us. You know, the general, normal yeah, thing. Lovingly into each other's eyes. Sure, lovingly. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, as we teased a little earlier this month, we're going to jump into a thing that I thought about. This is spinning out of the idea that uh, we actually got a new Spider-Man costume in the most recent Amazing Spider-Man series that, uh, I don't know how I feel about it still. It's not terrible, it's not great. I there's something about that classic Spider-Man costume, um, that Scarlet Spider costume and Miles Morales costume. I don't know. There's just something about them. I, and the Kane Scarlet Spider costume is pretty solid, but it's just not doing something for me. So with that thought process in my mind, I I started thinking, man, there are some really terrible, terrible superhero costumes that are heroes have dug themselves into and out of relatively quickly for the most part. So I posited to the gentleman with me, why don't we pick two dishonorable mentions of terrible costumes? And then when we think of the worst superhero costume that we can think of, what is that? Um, and this is not limited to just the actual comic books. This can into TV shows and movies. Like if uh, somebody's costume didn't really fit the bill of what you wanted it to be. Um, 
thinking about that real quickly, a comic book rendition, and if you were able to get through WandaVision, uh, that relatively solid uh, Disney Plus Marvel show, during the Halloween episode, you were able to see uh, Wanda and Vision in what their comic book costumes would look like on the big screen as Halloween costumes, and I thought it was a cool way to see that that would not always translate great onto the screen. It was kind of goofy, and in the best way. I was going to ask you that question. Is that sort of like... I know there's a still a gigantic portion of the fan base that wants faithful translations. Well, here you go, and this is why they won't work. Yeah, and I think that was really smart. Um, Matt, you got through the whole show, right? For WandaVision? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Darren, you've not made it yet, right? I have not. I wasn't so, expecting so was... Superman and Lois to be as good as it was, so that sort of right. absorbed some time. I was expecting that thing to be a flop, and I would have made it there a lot more quickly than i have well fair enough you you know the the episode i'm talking about yeah right? i've seen some that, of the screenshots with uh wanda in her scarlet witch outfit and vision mm-hmm. and his like classic yellow and green uh mm-hmm. it, looks, it looks goofy it looks goofy it wouldn't fit well the trick-or-treating yeah that was the halloween episode yep. yeah they did a nice job with it and i think that was a good way to not edit it but regardless we're not going to focus on that because that was kind of a good way of doing it. These are terrible costumes. Um, do we want to just dump all three at the same time or do we want to do our honorable mentions and wrap it back around? I know we kind of mix it up sometimes. No, you just, have a you, your first idea was the best one. Okay, so let's just do the total dump. So, uh, the guys, I actually shared I guess I'm my... All right. Oh, you want me to do the two? No, we always we always do uh, the two and then the one, and that's what you said we were going to do first. Yeah, so we'll do... Everybody do their two, and then we'll go back and do our worst, right? Yes. Is that what you were saying? That's what I was okay. saying, yes. Okay, we'll do that. So, we'll start with my two dishonorable mentions since this was my uh, thing. And like I said, I shared these images with the guys so that they can see them. Uh, Hopefully, I remember to upload these onto Instagram so while you are listening, you can see these as well. So, my first dishonorable mention is the God Pack Thor costume. Uh, For those that are not looking at the image right now, he has his classic... (laughs) Thor winged cap. Fine, fine, fine. He's a hammer. That's good. But there's a lot of blue and gold going on. And for some reason, the designer decided to put his skin tight bodysuit running down just the center of his chest. So you can see his well overdefined muscles. Otherwise, uh, with his basically Colossus esque looking bottom half. Uh, and it's shiny. It's very, very very shiny uh i think that was a big 90s marvel outfit idea lots of skin lots of shine lots of color and i think this one kind of fits that whole boat um if you're not familiar with the god pack storyline it's really weird it's right once uh odinson actually comes back to the planet and uh joins high evolutionary's new superhero team that is called the god pack led by Thor, it's not good. My second dishonorable mention is the 1990s Invisible Woman outfit. That is the one with the number four as a boob window, um, a ab peekaboo window to look at her belly button. And um, it's basically a onesie with lots of holes in it. 
I guess is the best way to do it. Uh, some knee-high stockings that are meant to somehow protect our feet, I guess. I don't know. A detached garter belt on both legs and basically up to the bicep white gloves. It's tough. Um, it, it was... If you look at superhero females from the 90s, there are lots of boob windows, um, lots of skin showing, lots of bellies. And man, this one just kind of took the cake for me. Uh, this was one of the ones that when I was thinking of these terrible costumes, it came to my mind. And I did a Google search for terrible Invisible Woman costumes, and it was literally the first image that appeared. So yeah, it's, if you look at it, you go, yeah, that's the 90s. Oh yeah, <laughs> for sure. So those are my two dishonorables. Gary, what do you got for us? Well, I, I had a number of them, but I, I narrowed it down. Um, my, I guess, first dishonorable, uh, the black jumpsuits from the X-Men films. And the only reason this qualifies is because, you know, coming out of comic books, you hear there's going to be an X-Men movie. You're expecting to see Wolverine, you know, with the, the high-peaked face mask and, you know, the X-Men in all their glory, and then they show up and they're wearing very, you know, sensible team uniforms. I make sense, but not really what I wanted to see. Uh, this next one is probably not going to be uh, very popular, but uh, Storm with her uh, leather leather vest and mohawk. Um, that's a very popular look for her, but to me, Storm was always a very elegant, very regal. And this change to her costume just really smacked that in the face for me. I mean, there, were, there was a Morlock storyline at the time, and again, it fit the story, but it just, to me, did not fit her as a character. So that's what I went with for my two dishonorable mentions, X-Men Black Jumpsuits, and storm with a mohawk. I'm glad you acknowledged the story tying the mohawk thing in because I was going to uh, give you a little guff because yeah. it did make sense. But I agree, it's a, it's a little off-putting when you. It you're made used Kitty to... cry. I mean, come on. Which was part of the story. She looked up. Whatever. That's fine. It's yeah. not great. All right, Matt. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna kind of focus on what Phil focused on here too. So, uh, doing my research. Um, so I was coming up with a lot of things that happened in the 90s. So I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that the 90s and character portrayals and redesigning uh, maybe took a hard turn to the left and one that we probably don't need to revisit for any reason, shape or form. My two uh, dishonorable mentions are going to be both female characters because of how they were treated. So I'm going to say the first one, which is what Phil already brought up. So the Invisible Woman, uh, that particular outfit. Um I, I can't really describe it any better than what a Phil's already done. So there's no more reason for me to say the phrase boob window one more time. Uh, <laughs> that one was, uh, it's unfortunate, but that's kind of how colloquially it's named is, or the, or the, that um, is true. Or the vanishing four or something like that. Um, but nonetheless, so there's that one. And then there was also one where Wonder Woman was portrayed and the artist's name was Mike uh, Deodato, Deodato, I think is the name. Um, yeah, so he was he did this, and he's gonna pop up on my list as, as the the key character, the key artist. <laughs> another one that I chose, but his portrayal of Wonder Woman when she was not being Wonder Woman for a, a brief run there. Um, again, she was wearing essentially what came down to a biker shorts and a bra uh, with maybe a, a leather jacket. She was supposed 
being conspicuous, but everywhere there's the Wonder Woman symbol on there. So it's a very mixed message in, in general. Um, and I'm not sure what about that outfit was inconspicuous uh, for the storyline. But uh, yeah, that, that was, I would say generally the 90s portrayal of women in general in comic books, but definitely those two kind of take the cake. Darren? Well, I went with the field in terms of Marvel for my number three. Uh, in the 90s, DC was killing everybody or breaking them. And then Marvel, they were redesigning everyone. And generally, Rob Liefeld was at the head of a lot of those redesigns. And although he didn't redesign Captain America, uh, his Captain America has made the rounds. I know we're all, which one we're all talking about, where he has larger boobs than Power Girl. Um, speaking of boob windows, I always loved the explanation for Power Girl's boob window was that she doesn't know who truly she is, so she's leaving her logo area absent until she figures out what logo should go there. Okay, sounds like you guys got in trouble. You had to come up with an explanation. But yeah, pretty much the field in Marvel redesigns is where you want to go. I mean, look at Daredevil's redesign in the 90s. Like Thor, you brought that up, and in, in Invisible Woman. Um, interestingly enough, one of the best redesigns of all times comes out of the 90s, and that's Spider-Man Scarlet Spider, but the rest of them are not good. And my number two is the Iron Spider costume, which I just can't stand. Really? It looks so silly to me. That's just not how I picture Spider-Man. Bulky. But the red and orangish yellow color scheme and the four additional limbs to, of course, equal eight. It just doesn't look like Spider-Man. I know it looks like a spider all of a sudden. There are many a varied cool looks for Spider-Man, but the Iron Spider ain't one of them. Huh. I'm actually surprised to hear that one. And you're talking about the comic book version, right? Not the not the film version. It was pretty close. The film version was pretty close, wasn't it? It was less gold, I guess. I don't um, like the Iron Spider but, costume. Either way. Fair enough. I'm with you, Phil. Right. Spider-Man has a very classic look. There are some very, very cool variations on it. Um, right. If you want to go with one of those variations, great. But that's not where you go with it to me. No, it's, uh, fair enough. It's not my favorite either. It's just not, I don't hate it. I just, it's definitely not my favorite. All right. Are we ready? This should not be a surprise because I have said this one many, 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 many times. I think the worst costume interpretation ever was the Batman and Robin nipple Batman costume. <laughs> It, it haunted me and still haunts me to this day. And the funny thing is, and sometimes I will tell people, I can't stand the nipple Batman costume and Batman and Robin. And I think people blank out and forget that he had nipples. And then they look it up and they're like, oh my God, you're right. Why did they give him nipples? It doesn't make sense. Like, why would you do that? Too many crotch shots to remember the nipples. Apparently. Yes, man, it's, it's bad. It's really bad. It's got really badly chiseled abs into it. <laughs> you know, when you look at he, that... Go ahead, Phil. Sorry. I mean, he's just wearing, like, hooker boots. <laughs> he's overly shiny and nips are out. Like, it's not a good Batman costume at all. You know, it's funny. That actually started with Val Kilmer. The picture you have posted is the George Clooney, which isn't right. the worst one in that movie because he gets no, like no, a no. different costume later in the movie that somehow is worse. Now this one like comparatively is actually not that bad. And 
It looks kind of, I mean, I actually think it looks better than the Batfleck costume because Ben Affleck looks so smushed in that Batman costume in those movies, and he looks so bald, like, he looks so immobile in the, in the, in the Snyder verse to me. But, yes, this is, the Dark Knight has seen better days, to be sure. Like, Adam West looks at this and goes, oh my god, what the hell is this garbage? Yeah. The, uh, the article I posted in the chat, uh, or I'm about to post in the chat, is the, uh, is the costume I believe Darren is referencing, which is also just like really, really bad. Tinfoil highlights, didn't he? <laughs> it, that's the one. It has, it has the <laughs> look at it. I know what you're talking about. He loses, he loses his nipples in that. However, Robin gains them, and so does Batgirl. <laughs> oh, which yeah. is problematic in itself. Oh, yeah. So, that's how funny. about let's just ball it in and let's let me change and slightly edit. My my pick. My pick is the Bat Family and Batman and Robin. Is that fair? Oh yeah, I'm looking at this thing now. My God, it's worse than I thought. He's got a chrome oh, codpiece. Right, and his his ears have silver accents. <laughs> um, very cold you, in the Bat Cave, apparently. If you guys right. ever get the chance to pick up the DVD special edition for that movie which has interviews with George Clooney and they're all archived interviews because he would not be interviewed for the actual making of featurette. They start out the interviews where he's real, like obviously it's before he realizes this movie is gone off the rails and he's like really enthusiastic about playing dual roles. And then you could tell as time goes on, like he's being interviewed and at one point he's in an interview and his hand is in his, his head is in his hand and he's just like, he's asking about the movie and you could tell he's realized that this is, maybe going to kill his career and he goes and he keeps being asked like what did you think you can bring to this role and he and he just sits and he goes i thought that this guy would be like in public like an actor who's on a highly rated medical drama and i i felt like that's what i can contribute to this and you can see like the blank stare in his face is like oh my god this movie is so bad i mean his Oscar acceptance speech was hysterical too, because he's like, "Finally, something else to put next to Batman, Oscar winner." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's. It's so funny, like when he is interviewed about that, he takes all the blame, and you're like, "It was not your fault." And he's like, "I hate working out. I got shredded for this movie, and then they put me in that stupid suit." <laughs> um, I, I. Uh, if there's one guy who deserves another shot, it's him. I don't know if you're going to be Batman again, but boy, you just God, it's just it's such a I can't even it's describe. Haunting. It is. It's I think Bruce Clooney's done pretty well for himself, Batman. Yeah, I agree. I think he's had quite a fine career. He's fine. <laughs> you know, it's, he's living when, in his own personal island. He'll be okay. Yeah, he's a, he's a I I agree with you, man. You know, if you go back when this movie comes out. I actually mentioned this in the, in my retro review of the long Halloween. Um, it's long Halloween is right in the middle of its run when this movie comes out and this made Batman indefensible, right? Like if you were a Batman fan, this is before all this stuff was super cool and everyone was into it. Like this was still like you were, you I mean, I Gary and I would 
to have these conversations, but we didn't go out like look picking up girls going, "Hey, we're Transformers and Batman's fans." No, we these are things you still hid, right? So if they find out you were a Batman fan, Batman was pretty hot for a while, but then when this came out, you're like, "You're a Batman fan?" No, 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 I'm not a Batman fan. Not after this garbage. But but then it always came with you had to explain it, like, yes, but this is not the Batman I like. You know, it's. It made being Batman, it made Batman so uncool, which is really yeah. hard to do. It is really hard to make Batman uncool, but man, did they pull it off. Made it very hard to want to go see Batman Begins. Right. <laughs> I remember that movie coming out, like I was out, I was out. And then I remember seeing it and going, Gary, oh my God. Oh my God, Gary, you're not going to believe this. And there's your, there's your, uh. There's your soundbite for the, the month right there. And it's another, oh, my God, Gary. How about that? Like that one, Phil? I think that flows so easily. It does. <laughs> I don't know. Gary just, Gary just brings those things out in people. Sure. Which, Gary, what was your worst costume? What did you see? Well, you get, you guys have your phones on you? Yeah. Because I'm not as technologically advanced as Phil. So I'm going to send you a text here. Uh, Phil, I almost panicked when I saw yours. This is uh, the Crossing Era Thor, um, also around the same time period. Yeah. This one crossed my mind also, actually. I, I was wondering, yeah. Um, I was a toss-up between this or the uh, post-Goliath Hawkeye with the deep V-neck. Yeah, that one's bad, too. Yeah, but I, I th- this Thor haunted me, the, the long flowing locks, the uh, exposed midriff, the shoulder pads, for lack of a better better word. And the uh, leather bindings all throughout his body there. Looks like a life field creation. All of it's functional. That, it was. It like I'd be surprised if that's drawn not. Life field. Yes, that thing. is. Yeah. Life field or the life field school of redesign. No, not- that's, that's actually, he was, this is my number one as well. And that's the same artist that I was just talking about with the Wonder Woman. Really? Oh, it's oh. Mike Deodato. So, yeah, that's exactly who it is. So this guy dropped two massive turds on the comic book community. <laughs> And in this one was probably the one that's the most unforgivable. The one part that I read about this one, which is kind of funny, was the fact that if you look at, at the hammer, it is attached to a chain, which is attached oh, is that what that is? to a costume, which is totally non-functional. I mean, the rest of it, let's, let's admit, you know, skirts the line of whether or not it's truly functional. The, the midriff exposure, maybe that's for better ease of movement. I'm not really sure. But the thing that kind of struck me as we were going through this list as I was doing a little bit of research for it was just how nonsensical a lot of these costumes are, just period. Right. Uh, and I know that's part and parcel of it, and I get it, and they look cool, and you can dress up like the character. But, man, there are some ones where it's just like, I don't understand what they were doing. Where like, was just, that gene connected? Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just it. Like Some of these are just hysterical, the way that they're done, and... And somebody had to sign off on these things. So we can go ahead and blame the artists all they want. I'm, my guess is that it's not the artist entirely. I think that I bet you the artist came with something in mind and they said, no, we got to amp it up. We got to do this. We got to do that. And the artist only gave them what they were supposed to give them. And, and at the end of the day, it was probably due to somebody else's direction. But so I don't want to throw that man under the bus by any stretch. But yeah, that, that costume is confusing to say the least. You know, this is one of those things that former Major League Manager Sparky Anderson would have said. Someone around there was smoking the wacky tobacco. <laughs> yep. Yeah, just just in my research, like I hit that, I'm like, I'm done. I have arrived. 
It's brutal. <laughs> the hair, I don't get it. Is he fronting for a hair metal band afterwards? Well, that it, it is very glam rockish. I don't know what the story was going on around that either. That apparently that look only lasted for four issues, and then they had to scrap it and get them back to another normal look. I was going to say, I don't think it matters what story surrounded it. It, it, Nothing would have been good enough to cover that up. (laughs) I mean, it's one of those. Well, that explains why Thor was like, I don't know where he was um, on the uh, the depth chart for Marvel. But he was really low for a long time, and that that's probably your explanation right there. I mean, I truly did not read any Thor, on, even when we started this podcast, until the Jason Aaron run. They probably had to shuffle him under a mat for a while. Like, we need to make sure people forget about this, and it's going to be a while. So, Thor, you better hope we come up with some big movies for you at some point. And that's pretty much when he reemerged. Thank you, Taika. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's one of those things where I hope, like, now that Marvel is like pretty much a, a movie television em- enterprise, they don't need to go down the route of like, hey, let's do a uh, a uh, montage of costumes like they did in uh, in some of the other things. Like, how about this look? No, 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 that's okay. We need to leave that one dead and buried. What they need to do is Thor needs to go to his closet to get something. And inside his closet will be all of these horrible outfits that you'll be able to recognize by a shoulder pad a big or chain. a bandolier or whatever it is. You know, grabs his hammer and just, has a chain. Just a little like, Easter egg there. This is stupid. <laughs> now, my Thor-related question is whether or not he's going to remain fat. Um, if we can keep fat Thor, then I'm then I'm I'm kind of curious to see where the costume is going to go with him because <laughs> what was it? Endgame. I mean, he just was. I Is like it. Endgame. It's been a while since I've watched it. I don't. I, I believe so. Yeah, they they were they stuck with it. They they didn't. That wasn't a joke that like all of a sudden got thrown away. Like they kept they kept him beer chugging and chubby the whole time. So I thought that was great. the reason I thought after all the space like the time travel stuff he wasn't fat anymore. But again, my that could be my memory fading. Oh, maybe not. Maybe maybe I don't remember that. I, mean, I will rewatch very soon, and I can re-report. <laughs> Well, he's been working out for that uh, Hulk Hogan biopic, hasn't he? Yeah, and I mean, the Guardians movie, I don't see him being... He's not going to remain... Well, it was prosthetic, right? I mean, there's no way... Right, right, yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm telling you right now, if I ever was like that, okay, we need you to get fat. Like, forget it. You know how hard this is? No way, man. There's special effects. Use them. Yeah, well, that's like Kamel Nanjiani. I think we've all were shocked by what he posted his uh, Instagram and Twitter uh, oh, a year or so ago. I mean, that guy, I mean, he's absolutely shredded. And he said he could never let himself get back to where he was before because he now knows just how much energy, effort, and, and time and attention to detail it takes to spot. I mean, those, yeah, I half the time I think people are taking paychecks to go into these movies so they can have an excuse to get really, really fit. So. Right. Yeah, it was... So, um. Who? Oh, you're absolutely right about that, Matt. Because um, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Um, why can't I think of his name? Yeah, he said he. It was his idea to do that, and he goes, "I the reason I wanted to do that was so I can get Fox to pay for my training, and uh, I could. I was on the clock doing this the whole time." And he goes, "And so if you have the opportunity to do that, that's how you get shredded. Otherwise, I wouldn't recommend it." <laughs> There's actually a really good episode. My wife listens to the podcast Armchair Expert with Dax Shepard. 
And uh, yeah, he's actually interviewing Kamel Nanjiani and Rob McElhaney in the same interview. Uh, and they're all three discussing that component of it. And because both those guys are in fantastic shape. Yeah. All right. <laughs> all right, Darren, give us something crappy. All right. Now this one on the surface is not as heinous uh, as what we've seen or heard and what you can see on our Instagram. But it is a subtle thing that to me, I still am baffled how this occurred, how this made it as far as it did, and how I actually have an action figure from the 90s with this. And it's Mullet Superman. Now... (laughs) Oh, yeah. The black costume (laughs) was never a favorite of mine, but I will confess that it worked pretty well in the Arrowverse, and when he showed up at the end of Zack Snyder's Justice League and looked at Steppenwolf and whooped him within, like, he Goldberged him like Goldberg, Goldberg, Brock Lesnar at the 16 uh, Survivor Series, Gary. Let's just, you know exactly what I'm referencing with that one. Mm. It was over in two minutes. And it was kind of cool. The black costume was kind of cool. And that's where the mullet came from. But the intro to the costume was saddled with a super mullet following Superman's resurrection. How the hell did he get a mullet while he was dead? What's worse, following Kal-El's full recovery and re-adoption of the classic look, he kept the mullet. (laughs) Like, is he just like, I'm Superman. If I want a mullet, I'm going to have a mullet. Go ahead and tell me it looks stupid. Go ahead. Yeah, he was, he was, he's had the hockey cape. You're right, man. (laughs) Here's the thing. The year was 1993. Mullets were not only long out of fashion, but they were already a pop culture punchline. I mean, I assume DC had editors at the time. No one thought to question this. It's kind of like that, you know, I've read the Stan Lee book. The Rise and Fall of Stan Lee, and, it, and, and some of the stuff in there talks about how Stan was always taking credit for everything until the fans, like, didn't like it. And then he's like, well, I'm not really part of it anymore. And it's like, you know, something like Gwen Stacy is like, yeah, I'm writing Superman. I'm, I write Spider-Man. I write it. I'm the, I'm the chief writer. And he had nothing to do with Gwen Stacy's death. And so as soon as they uh, said, hey, we hate this, he's like, well, don't talk to me. <laughs> I mean, that was like one of those, yeah, sure, I signed off on all this stuff. Why does the Superman have a mullet? What? He's got a mullet? <laughs> Who gave him a mullet? I didn't sign off on this. What does Thor look like? Who's this? I don't know. That's Thor. What? This is Thor? <laughs> Who who signed off on this? You did. <laughs> I mean, this is one of those things where people are just like, yeah, yeah, just do whatever. These, these comics are selling, like, this is right after his death. So Superman comics were, like, flying off the shelves. And they're like, whatever, just do, do something. Don't bother me with silly, silly details. Fine, he's going to have a mullet. I, I, th- this is one of those things where the costume eventually returned to normal. It was the classic Superman look with a mullet. I mean, yeah, Iron Man's is way more offensive. Or, excuse me, Thor's. And Wonder Woman and Boob Window Invisible Girl. Invisible Woman. But this is the one that you just go, your redesign was a mullet? Uh I'm looking at pictures of it, and it is as bad as I remember it. Like, why couldn't they just give him long hair then? I mean, they straight up went mullet. Yeah, they did. Yes, they did. 
Uh, what would you cut that hair with? A heat vision, I presume. On the back of his head? Yeah, he's there. At the front. I don't know, man. Does Good boy. Suck? Business at the front and party in the back. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe it was a looser Superman. How did they not realize that Clark Kent was Superman at that point? Yeah, right? Like, there's two people <laughs> walking around Metropolis in a mullet. <laughs> and there's... And one of them is Superman. And one of them... I don't quite understand. Go ahead, That Matt. guy with glasses is a really big fan of Superman. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Those glasses aren't doing anything for you, mullet man. <laughs> we know it's to you now. I, I know that, that maybe he tied it into a ponytail <laughs> when he was around the office. Who looked at him. Not better. No, right? Oh, wow. It's not. It, it, now, the jokes just keep on coming. Camaro Superman from here on out. So Camaro Superman is how I'm going to refer to that character. Yeah, that's like you're going to see the parking lot at the Daily Planet. There's a yellow Camaro in the parking lot. Like I'd give you one guess who's driving that car. <laughs> Where you been, Kent? It's funny when you say maybe it was a looser Superman. I don't associate people with mullets as being like relaxed. To me, they're the most like agitated people I know. They're always like one step away from starting a fight with someone for no reason. Like Kenny Powers. That's what it is. That's what it seems like. There you go. I just can never like, and I'm knowing this is not going to work for an audio medium, but like I just always picture Superman as he lands, like. Like those mullet guys always love to fluff the back. He lives, fluffs the mullet, <laughs> spits a chaw. <laughs> it's got a hole. Had to go. His costume has holes in the knees. You know. <laughs> cut the uh, he cut the sleeves off of it. Yeah, it's cut the sleeves off. It's sleeveless. Okay. <laughs> now see that would be a redesign. Well, those are definitely terrible uh, for all of us. At some point in the near future, I'm sure we will talk about our favorite uh, costume changes. But man, those definitely will stick in the memory for a while at least. Yeah, and Phil, I Uh, bet you can guess what my top two are. And I have a really difficult decision to make when we get to that. I know one is going to be Scarlet Spider, so Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll see. Oh, I know what the other one is. Go ahead, Gary. Huh? Go ahead. Robin, Tim Drake. You got it. You got it. And now I figured out which one goes before the other for one very specific reason, and it makes total sense, and we'll get to that at some point. Very cool. So we will circle back to this for our favorites at some point in the future. Um, That was fun. I like like when we can tear apart uh, the thing that we love so much. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's a good way to put it, Phil. Speaking of the thing that we love – how about we talk about the thing that we love and that we are reading right now? So our oldest segment, Stick, Stuck, Pick, Sayonara, circles back. Um, now that all four of us are reading comics, it makes sense that we do this again. Ready. I just want to make sure. Okay. So going to kick this off with my sticks. These are books that I'm, you know, I'm sticking with for now. They're not my favorites, but there's something about them that is worth at least sticking to for a little while longer. Uh, list is growing. Miles Morales, Spider-Man. There's a Clone Wars coming. I gotta see that travesty. Guardians of the Galaxy, Excalibur, Cable, X-Force, Hellions, New Mutants, and Marauders. Notice that that is all Marvel, and at least half of them are X-Men books. Slowly starting to take a step back from those, so 
I will see some Sinars soon. What are your sticks, Darren? Um, sticking with Ultra Mega, this is from Skybound. Uh, Stranger Things. I know right now they've wrapped everything up, but uh, I'm sure there's more coming. Another one, Radiant Black. This is from Image. Star Trek Year 5. Birthright from uh, Image as well. Uh, Star Trek Year 5 is from IDW. Star Wars Marvel, sticking with it for now. Star Wars The High Republic, sticking with it. Actually, confession, I haven't read them yet because I'm still trying to find the book. Um, stuck on Strange Adventures from DC. Stuck on Harley oh, Quinn White Knight. Oh, yeah, you're right. That was my fault. I'm a moron. Thank this you. This is why we clarify. Gary well, saved him. Yeah, right. My stick list, um, and again, these are probably here because some of them are new and I haven't really given them a chance yet. Uh, the currently on hiatus, Horizon Zero Dawn slash Forbidden West, uh, Knights of the Golden Sun, Deep Beyond, uh, Black Knight, Curse of the Ebony Blade, So Universal, <clears throat> Commanders in Crisis, Nottingham, <laughs> Noctera, and Sonic the Hedgehog, which my son is actually reading. Chili the dogs. <laughs> Matthew. Matthew. Yeah, my list is going to be fairly brief. Uh, it's just really going to be one thing that I'm going to stick with. I, I think last time I put on there, I was talking about kind of being in the mud on this one a little bit, but I'm going to stick with it based on Phil's recommendation. I'm going to pick Saga back up and I'm going to go ahead and, and start where I left off and I'm doing it. I'm going to do it. So uh, I've been, I've been taking a recommendation. So the reason why mine is also brief is because uh, I am a bit of a novice when it comes to the comic book aspect of it. So that's fine. You have something I might, if you have any holes in your memory from saga, maybe start back at the beginning. It I'm is. going to, yeah, that's, that's the other part that's kind of made me a little bit sluggish. I wanted to pick it back up. I'm like, I kind of need to reread everything up. And I think I have, I, I admittedly have the trade paperbacks and I think I've got through maybe number six of those collections. And so, um, yeah, so you, have, you have them all already. Mm -hmm. I have most of them already. Yeah, I was I gonna say, if you don't, we can we can set up a meetup and I can give you the rest of them for sure. Yeah. So, all right, cool. Definitely worth your time. I promise you, it's it's worth the payout at the end. All right, moving on to stucks. Even though Darren tried to sneak his in already, the books that we're stuck on are the things that we are enjoying. Um, they, I mean, they're why we read comics, right? There's there's just something that brings in the stories are good we love the characters what have you um first for me is amazing spider-man i think this is pretty much always going to be on my stuff list unless things go real bad uh not a huge fan of the costume switch but i know there's a purpose behind it so i'll give it time uh teenage mutant ninja turtles has been a non-stop love of mine uh this idw run is just fantastic uh you can get your hands on it, give it a shot. It's it's well worth your time. Uh, Jenica 2 is a spinoff from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, circling the female turtle that was, man, I think she first appeared at the new free comic book day issue from last year. Uh, she kind of transitioned into a turtle from a foot soldier. Um, I'm in the last issue of it. Uh, I think issue six comes out either next week or the week after. Um, so we'll see uh, if, you know, they do another because it's two. So there was one before. Uh, it's been fun. Sea of Stars. I know Darren was reading this also. A Jason Aaron book. Very unique. Very different. 
Um, not sure how much longer it really has. They, I'm sure you're not caught up, Darren. Um, the, the end of the most recent issue that I read um, leads me to believe that we are very close to the conclusion. Daredevil, uh, my pick of the year of last year, still very solid, still very good. Uh, Matt Murdock in prison as Daredevil, Electra running around outside as Daredevil. Um, things are getting kind of crazy. Uh, I'm assuming this next one will probably be Gary's pick, but the scumbag, uh, Rick Remender's new ongoing, uh, it's just getting good. We're starting the second arc now, um, so we're going to see how much worse he can become. Oblivion Song, the sci-fi thriller that is, um, oh, wow, my brain just stopped. The guy who did The Walking Dead. Um, Kirkman? Kirkman. Kirkman, thank you. Jeez, I have two Kirkman books, too. Um, Oblivion Song is a Kirkman sci-fi book. Uh, it's been very good. Sometimes the art's a little hard to follow, but it fits the tone very well. Uh, sticking with Kirkman, uh, Firepower, a book that Darren I know is also reading, a kung fu book, a guy going through trying to be the controller of Firepower and learning that what he has learned while learning his abilities may not all be true. Uh, it's been it's been very good. Uh, a lot of really cool multi-page fights that are just the fights uh, that are cool to look at. Um, thanks to Gary, I'm back into Monstrous. Uh, I'm almost caught up, and I'm going to start picking it up, I think, on a monthly. Uh, well worth the time. They relaunched Black Cat with uh, King and Black, so it's still going. I really loved Black Cat for some reason when it came around the first time. Uh, surprisingly better than you could ever anticipate uh, a weird heist book uh, if it's really well and then I have three X-Men books that are kind of the the ones that I think will make the cut when I finally do cut off X-Men books Wolverine X-Factor and X-Men Wolverine obviously focused on Logan X-Factor uh, kind of a CSI mutant thing which has been very cool and X-Men is the flagship book. Um, I don't know how much longer Hickman's on them, but once he is gone, I will reassess once again. So that's everything I'm stuck on. I know I read the most, so. There you is have that. a new uh, new pick this month, don't you? Sure do. All right, because yeah, I recognize some of your big hitters are now back on uh, Stuck. I had, an, I had a little surprise of something that knocked my socks off. All right, Aaron. Okay, so here's a shock. Strange Adventures. You get It's weird. You get a new momentum there, and I even blew my own rules. Uh, Strange Adventures from DC's Black Label. It's on issue eight, which is hard for me to believe, which says a lot about the book. It's really, really good. The story of Adam Strange. Harley Quinn's White Knight. Uh, this is our buddy Sean Murphy in that, in that Batman run he's been doing. This is the third series. Man, oh, man, is so good. Isn't Jerome Pena on the art for that? No, Sean Murphy. I didn't think it was a Pena. Um, my pick of the month, reigning champion. Wait, stop. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, see, I did it again, didn't I? <laughs> oh. <laughs> now, here's, I will say, this is with me multitasking, engineering the show, and monitoring all these other things. Do you You'll, hear that? Do, do, do you, you all hear that? never <laughs> guess <laughs> what my number one is, my pick of the month. Oh, I think we know. You know. All right. Just Gary, no get in there. All right. My stuck. Um, my Transformers Monthly. 
uh, Transformers Escape. Uh, my former pick, Monstrous, is now stuck Ooh. because it has been supplanted. And also on my stuck list yeah. is Scumbag. Ooh, really? Which up until about two weeks ago would have been my pick. Then I know what your pick is probably. And I have tipped my hand on this one already, too. I think yeah. I know as well. Yes, you have. Yep. Oh, that's all I got for my stucks. Matt. Yeah, well, Phil made the mistake of getting me involved in comicsology, so I've had the opportunity to go back and check out some things. So one of the things that I've definitely been stuck on right now, and I'm just, I can't say enough about it, is the uh, the original run in Doomsday. Or I'm sorry, Doom Patrol. So that's one of those ones that I've been looking at recently. That's It's outstanding. It's the Grant Morrison version of it. Uh, we were trying to determine the timeline there. Um, I believe the, the category is 87 to 95. Yeah. Um, but it starts probably in 88 somewhere because I believe we talked about it. It's issue number 19 that really kind of picks up uh, the best amount of, of energy and going forward. And it's just amazing, amazing writing. Uh, the one I'm still stuck on, and I, I just get excited for it. It's a super brief read. It's a lot of fun. I like the way that they've done it. It's going to be Maniac of New York. And I know we've talked about it before, um, but that's Elliot Kalin. So he used to be a writer for The Daily Show. He does an amazing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Darren's holding up a copy of it. I haven't read um, it yet. I'm getting so, yeah, they've done the first two issues. Third one, obviously, coming out here shortly. Um, but yeah, they, it's been really interesting. Just an alternate take on the the slasher genre, but also there's social criticism in there about how we treat adversity. I don't know. It's just it's really really cool. I I, I think there's a there's a lot of cool uh, things going on in there. Um, yeah, that's just an amazing uh, fun fun read. I wanted to say something else, but I'm going to use it for my pick for this one. If I may interject. Um, you're reading the second run of Doom Patrol because the original run is right. uh, yeah. what 1960. Yeah, so this would have been the 80s run. I apologize. You're right. Yeah, it's one of the and the reason I bring it up is because uh, when I did that review of it during our uh, Free Comic Book Day special, there is a still a lingering controversy about whether or not X Men was completely lifted from Doom Patrol. Um, and when you look at the two issues side by side, it's almost impossible to believe that X-Men was not, but it's so interesting how cyclical it is because when you look at certain pictures of the Doom Patrol and you can juxtapose those with the Fantastic Four, you're like, well, Marvel just got revenge because you totally swept the Fantastic Four. Um, so it's, it's really, it's always interesting to me to, to look into those things. Oh man, maybe at some point, if I ever find time, I'll circle back and read some of that stuff. There's not enough time to do all of these. No, and you're right, Phil. But the great thing is that you know that that's you you're experiencing. They're literally at your fingertips. Right, right, which is nice. All right, here comes the. But before we start our uh, our picks, I, I found one of my stack. I forgot to mention for my my stick, uh, the Firefly brand new verse series came out so i grabbed issue one of that so see how that one goes too fair enough all right my pick of the month is non-stop spider-man oh what's this man i was not expecting a lot out of it to be honest it was it was um solicited as non-stop spider-man action from page to page and i was like all right whatever um and i mean it's it's really, really, really good. It does start with Peter and some crap. There's a little bit of 
uh, story tucked in that is kind of explaining why he is dealing with what he's dealing with, but he's pretty much in a fight through the whole issue. It's a nonstop battle during it. Um, the writing is solid. The art is very, very good. Um, I just, it was one of those things that, again, I didn't even think I was going to pick it up, but I try to always give any Spider-Man book, like, a, at least a try, just because, unless it's, like, one of those all-ages ones that I just, I'm just not feeling. Um, and it, it just, it, it did something right. I'm trying to remember who the artist is, because my brain is saying Humberto Ramos, and I feel like that's not right. Um, it'll take me two seconds to find it. But uh, the second issue just launched, and I didn't get the chance to actually check it out. Um, sorry, it's uh, Chris Bacalo. So he was doing Doctor Strange when Doctor Strange came back um, a while ago. Very, very, very enjoyable. Um, I know, Darren, when you saw the cover, you were like, that is a really, really cool cover. Oh, is that the one I, uh, I messaged you about? Right. And it just kept going um, from cover to cover. I closed it and I was like, wow. So I'm reading this. So that is my pick for the month because it did something different. It was easily easy to dethrone the other things. All right, Darren, we know you tipped your hand, but what do you got? Well, like I, I tipped my hand once again and I just had the same audio hit. So I'm hoping we're all good um is archie versus 90s thor um it i mean the artwork and the costuming is just beyond imaginably cool no it is uh no surprise here once in future reigning champ for i think pretty much since the series debuted i don't feel i need to say a whole lot more about it it is is it is what it is and what it is is pretty incredible um I don't want to say, I think, uh, Matt, you've checked this out, so I don't want to say a whole lot. Yeah, please don't, because I'm about to follow you up on this one. Do it, Matt. Actually, okay, I was going to ask Gary if you didn't mind if we jumped the line on this one. Yeah, that's actually my pick right now, too. So um, Darren recommended this to me uh, about a month or so ago, and I got the first two volumes for the trade paperback, and I'm about three-quarters of the way through the second one. And I've been purposefully parsing it out because I've been enjoying it so much i think i'm on chapter 11 right now of it it is unbelievably good and like i don't know there's the 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 character the main i don't know the the <laughs> grandmother it might be one of my favorite characters that i've read she's just so much fun and she was my favorite character of the year yeah absolutely she's outstanding she's great uh i love the the pseudo myth well, I guess it can't be pseudo mythology, but they're versions of mythology mm -hmm. and the way they're incorporating in, you know, these characters like Arthur and Beowulf. And, and I just, I find it fascinating. I think it's absolutely great. And I really genuinely enjoy it. But like I said, I'm parsing it out kind of similarly to how I watched the expanse. Like I didn't want to watch too much of it too soon because I enjoyed it so much. I kind of wanted to make sure that there was a measured tempo to it. So I've been sitting down and maybe reading an issue a night or maybe two if I feel like it, but it's just been outstanding from the jump. It's it is really grabbed my attention. Such and the art is fantastic too. It's oh, beautiful. I'll it's have to so lend you, and you'll like this. I'll have to lend you Claus, C L A U S, which is Grant Morrison and Dan Mora, uh, telling of the Santa Claus mythology. 
It is freaking incredible. It is so good. Um, and this, this, so I followed Dan Mora to this book and it wasn't a hard sell either. Like, Oh, English mythology, Dan Mora, I'm in. And you know, don't forget Karen Gillan also has a pretty dang good track record as uh, Phil will attest. So everyone involved in this is just so good. And I, of all, like when you think about how many stories we consume through movies and television and comics and novels and even games and, you know, podcasting to some degree, this is the one that I think above above all of them is the one I think I I, I think about when I'm not reading it. Mm-hmm. Same. Yep. It's a lot of fun. I'm glad you love it, Matt. Yeah. No, I really do. Thank you for the recommendation. All right. Uh, my pick. Um, well, like I said, up until about two weeks ago, this was Scumbag. Uh, Phil recommended that to me, and I got you know, blew my socks off. It was great read. It was fun. It was irreverent. It was everything I wanted in the story. Uh, Monstrous is still great, but I was emotionally touched by Canto. Uh, Canto 1, If I Only Had a Heart. Canto 2, The Hollow Men. The upcoming Canto 3, Lionhearted. Uh, there's a Clockwork Fairies one-shot and an upcoming City of Giants three-parter. Um, like I said in the last broadcast, when I was talking about this being option for a movie, um, it's not. It's it's not scumbag. It's not monstrous. Th- this is like tasting something that your grandmother used to make. Aww. You know that th- this is. It may not be the greatest thing ever, but. You it, it you get it, and then all of a sudden it it takes you somewhere. You know it it's like I said. I started reading this, and I immediately started thinking labyrinth. I started feeling dark crystal. Um, I think I explained this to Darren. This is sort of like Hup from Dark Crystal. If the Podlings, um, you know the, 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 this really timid race of people that were being enslaved and one of them had to you know come up with this this bravery that was not known of their kind you know and battle these insurmountable odds it's just it's what i wanted to read um like i said i I found a couple of these by accident and i had i had to have them all um issues two one and two of the original i had to go through ebay and it was not cheap. Um, I had to get second printings of issue one because issue one first printing is going for like $150 to $200 right now because of the movie option. But mm. it, it is outstanding. Um, I, I dropped over Canto 2 to Darren. And as we discussed, this is one of those things that had, you know, we've seen it when it was out. It for sure would have been snagged yes. immediately. Yes. Um, it's a product I, of not being able to go to the shop. You're right. Yeah, it, it, it's um, it, it, it's a fantasy adventure with a very much underdog hero. Uh, it moves a little fast because they, as I said they are like five parters or six parters, so they have to resolve that story arc quickly. But the world is created quickly, and you understand all of the players very well. And it's, it, it's beautiful. I don't know what to say about it. 
Um, like I said, it's not the greatest thing I've ever read, but it, it hits me where it needs to hit. So Canto in all of its uh, current versions is my pick. Man, you you sold me on it. I it's definitely on my list. Of, I have a couple things that you guys have. Uh, Once a future has been on my list for a little while. I'm going to circle back to clauses on there, but I think we're going to wait until the holidays and now Canto. Yeah. So, um, and again, clause another book that you can get your hands on real easily, Matt, uh, with your subscription over there. So you can add it in. All right. So uh, real quick for Sayonara's things that we are piecing out on. Uh, these are all concluded. Marvel, Symbiote Spider-Man, The King in Black, King in Black itself, you know, Butter Returns, and the Stranger Things D&D books were all concluded. So they're all gone. Thank God. That's fine. Books that I'm not picking up anymore. And Deadpool is uh, temporarily canceled. Um there's nothing solicited for it after the switch of writers. So who knows? Darren? Stranger Things. I uh, loved it. It's gone. Uh, I kind of agree with you. I'm in a bit of a relief just so I'm not picking up so much. Uh, and, and two things I don't want to discuss because I haven't had a chance to discuss it with you, and that's Nailbiter and Seven to Eternity. Seven to Eternity done? Did I read the last issue? Yes. Either, either you have or you're about to. Fair enough. I don't know when that came out. I might have missed it somehow. Got anything, Gary? Yeah, my sayonaras are most of uh, my picks from last time. Uh, Transformers 84, my previous uh, pick of the year, uh, finished. Uh, Transformers Galaxies, finished. Uh, Taskmaster, finished. Knights Temporal, finished. Battle Pug, finished. And as you mentioned, the uh, Thompson Deadpool series, finished. And I'm out. <laughs> yeah, Sayonara, things that <clears throat> I'm not reading anything that's been canceled or anything like that. Uh, but something I'm giving up on, and, and I'm sorry, Phil, because I feel like this is going to hit you in your heart. Uh, the boys. I just can't do it. So, I, yeah. topic. I don't know. Yeah, I did. I, I watched all of season one. I thought it was enjoyable. Season two, I've, I've tried rewatching. I've tried watching the first episode multiple times. I just I can't. I can't. It's just not holding my attention by any stretch of the imagination, so I'm not going to fight it. So, bye. All right. So, that that's all. Okay. So, Matt, you are going to get to tackle something that Darren and I absolutely love to do. So, you said bye to the boys, but you read something else. I did. I did. Why well, did you refer to this as, since this is your first time, Matt? Oh, oh, no, no. <laughs> really want us? Yeah, that'll be our soundbite from here on. Um, no, so I reread uh, the Books of Magic, which was the starting miniseries to what would later become the Books of Magic series that ran for a little while afterward. But this is going to be the starter one. So this is going to be written initially by Neil Gaiman. Uh, it happens within the Sandman universe. So if you're familiar with the Sandman universe and the Endless, uh, you'll recognize some of the characters that they come up. So you've got things like Dream, Death, destiny later on in the sandman series there's despair uh things like that so uh it's kind of a peek into that universe a little bit and peek into neil gaiman's head uh published by dc comics uh the later books were going to be published by dc vertigo which is also where sandman came out about um it's also i believe where preacher was also on vertigo initially uh so that was kind of like their darker more adult themed uh comic books um you know i guess it was the 90s so everything had to have its edge 
uh, when Thor wasn't running around with his uh, luxurious hair, we had to be a little bit darker. Um, opportunity, uh, basically what Neil Gaiman did is he took an opportunity to kind of focus some new energy on the DC Universe's uh, magic heroes and villains. So didn't really go for the superpowers so much, but he focused on the more magical elements of the DC history. So he brought up some characters that were around in the 40s, 50s, 60s, people like that. Um, so he brought back some of these characters. So we will have uh, guest appearances by John Constantine. Mr. E, the Phantom Stranger, Doctor Occult, uh, Dead Man, named, whose real name is Boston Brand, uh, Xana Zatara, and then Doctor Fate as well. So those are just a couple of the characters. That's not all of them by any stretch of the imagination. And then also it's broken up into four separate books that highlight four separate artists as well. So that was another thing that I thought was great with it being a four book miniseries. He really if you read it all, and I do recommend that you purchase the whole book. So DC has come out with a, a 30th anniversary of it. And the hardback is the version that I got from my local comic book store, uh, Superscript, over on Madison and Lakewood. Um, they did me a solid and they ordered that special for me and even allowed me to come in on the day that they were closed because it was the only day I could go pick it up. Uh, so good folks over there got that for me. I strongly recommend that you get that version of it as well because this has got a nice forward by, um, I believe it's Robert Zelazny, kind of talking about his perspective of it, which is great. And then you get some of the artwork at the very end of it, which is really, really cool. Um, and uh, Roger Zelazny, I'm sorry, is the person who does the forward for it. Um, but each of those four books kind of highlights a specific artist. Um, and they have very, very, very different styles from one another. So there's no mistaking it. Even if you didn't have the title page for the book itself, there would be no guessing as to whether or not it was a new uh, new story because they really just are so dissimilar. So I'm going to go ahead and jump into book number one. Book number one uh, is entitled The Invisible Labyrinth. The artist is John Bolton. Uh, this artwork is amazing. Oh. Uh, it's outstanding. It looks like a blending of colored pencil and watercolors. It's really, really cool. It introduce, introduces us to our protagonist, Timothy Hunter, as well as a group called the Trenchcoat Brigade. Uh, so the Trenchcoat Brigade is going to consist of John Constantine, Mr. E, the Phantom Stranger, and Dr. Occult. Uh, Tim has an, as, as we understand as the story goes along here, Tim has an undiscovered magic ability and the four guides are set out, uh, set to show him the world of magic and allow him to decide whether he wants to be a part of the magic world uh, and what path he will choose if he chooses to be a part of that. Now they did keep the series going, so there's a shocker. He may, he may end up choosing magic, just so you guys know. Um, but it really, it's kind of interesting because it doesn't portray magic as good and evil. It portrays it as light and dark. So you can choose to discover uh, dark magic and still not be an evil character. Um, but there is obviously the kind of the, the rote idea of there being a good and evil. Uh, in order to show him the way of magic, each member of the Trenchcoat Brigade is assigned to show him a component of the ways of magic. And the Invisible Labyrinth specifically is the history of the world and the history of magic as it runs concurrently with what we understand as normal life. Early part of this section leans heavily on Gaiman's trope of, of religion and magic intersecting. So I think that's something that kind of smacked around in the 90s a lot. Uh, we saw dark sides of religion and kind of like this interesting mysticism kind of component with religion. I think there's a lot of 90s movies that kind of discovered this. Some did it better than others, but uh, obviously I think it was a Neil Gaiman kind of thing as well. Uh, Timothy meets characters such as Merlin as they discuss notions of destiny and fate. And then it starts to focus, the, the latter half of that particular book starts to focus more on the 20th century relationship with magic, introduce, introduces us to characters like Dr. Fate and other magicians who use their magic to explore the invisible labyrinth, which is essentially studying magic and to end up entertaining the masses. It shows the cost of uh, traveling the path of magic 
and one what one must have to give up uh, in order to master the art of magic. So Timothy is brought back to more modern times, and then he travels in book two, which is called The Shadow World, which is the artist uh, Scott Hampton. Um, the artwork in this one is a little bit lighter. It definitely feels more like watercolors. Figures are a little bit less defined. The physical outlines are a little bit blurrier. It's, it's really cool, but definitely a, a stark contrast to the first book. Um, in this book, Timothy is shown the present day world, but uh, an aspect of it that he wouldn't really understand, but it's happening in, in the world as we know it, um, but just maybe something that he wasn't really clued into. John Constantine is his guide through this section, but we meet characters, like I mentioned, Boston Brand before, who some may know as Dead Man, which was, I believe, the 1960s character for DC. Uh, one that I definitely am going to be looking a little bit further into because it just looks kind of interesting. Um, other characters characters we meet are uh, Madame Xanadu and Zatara. Again, these are old, old DC characters that he's bringing to light. Um, the first, we truly understand the notion that Tim is in mortal danger from the outside forces. They kind of allude to it at the very beginning. Um, we see multiple attempts on his life, but it's not really entirely clear um, other than the idea that others know that he possesses the potential for power. Um, and that they kind of fear the possible outcomes, exactly what killing Tim would really bring about. Um, that part of it goes a little bit unfleshed out. I'll kind of talk about that in the, the final recap of it. But uh, when John is not jet-setting Tim about the world, mainly they focus on, on the U.S., um, he's introducing us uh, folks to share a common disdain for Constantine. He seems to be kind of a, a rogue character in this one. People don't really care for him that much, or if they do, they kind of say his name as they're spitting on the ground kind of idea. They arrive in California as Zatara becomes Tim's de facto guide because John is called away for a battle in Calcutta for magic forces. Um, this is the story, like I said, it never really gets fleshed out. They kind of talk about like this ultimate battle between magic and then you sort of never see it because the whole, the whole series, the whole miniseries just kind of serves as a, an opportunity to kind of introduce us because Tim is our proxy and introduce us into the world of magic. So that's kind of where the third or the second book ends rather um, is with him coming back to that space and then he's about to be shown some worlds that are happening at the same time as our world but they're happening on different planes and that's what the third book is all about and it's called the land of summer's twilight the artist here is charles vess who i believe was on board from the very beginning with this whole idea kind of fleshed out the idea with neil gaiman um this is the one that felt the most classic in terms of its artistry and all of the books so it's going to be the most straightforward that's one of the easiest stories to follow and i think it's one of the out of the four books, um, it's probably the one that could kind of be its own standalone thing, um, just because it had a, a clear start and a clear finish, and it was it was really interesting to read that particular portion of it. Timothy and Dr. Occult, who is his guide through this third book, discover the world um, that operate alongside our understanding of Earth and time. The bulk of the story takes place in fairy. Um, one of the cool parts is that the, uh, I'm sorry, the bulk of this takes place in here. A couple of cool elements. I don't want to really ruin this one here because they kind of talk about some really cool notions of it. Um, but in this one, there's a really cool idea is that they're kind of doing, and I think Neil Gaiman does this really, really well too. Uh, one of the cool parts is kind of like building on, on mythical ideas. And I kind of mentioned that before with his proclivity towards like religion and magic. And he kind of plays on this idea of mythology uh, and one of the things that he talks about is a king who sleeps underneath the hill, um, who only wakes up when his country is in moments of turmoil. What's kind of cool is that the, it's the same king. It's the same one guy that's sleeping underneath the hill. But countries call on him, and he'll become that person for that country. So if England is in a time of turmoil, it would become King Arthur. If France is in a time of turmoil, it would become Charlemagne. 
Ireland, they mentioned Brian Baru. If it's Serbia, they mentioned Lazar. So it's kind of all these neat characters that kind of like fill in uh, the historical components there. Tim and Dr. Akald get separated from uh, one another and Tim is captured by Baba Yaga. I really genuinely believe that the way that they portrayed Baba Yaga in this one is kind of where they got the, the way that they would portray her in um, the more recent Hellboy movie that I have to admit I, admit I only watched a little bit of. It was not very good and not easy to follow. Um, but this is where they kind of got that, that. I believe it's where they got that character in the way that they developed her. I know that's an old folk tale and whatnot, but I believe the way that they portrayed her was very, very consistent with how they made her look in, the, in that film. Tim meets the Queen of Fairy and uh, gets a rough lesson in the idea that nothing is given for free. As a result, he's given a tour of some of the other worlds that are taking place right now alongside the sort of chance to kind of run through some of the other DC settings. Skitaris, which is a, a setting where dinosaurs are living alongside men. We've got Gem World, which was another one, Mira, Camelot, Hell. And then we get into the more of the Neil Gaiman side. So we get to visit Dreaming. We get introduced to our guest appearance uh, by Neil Gaiman's character Dream, which looks a hell of a lot like Robert Smith, just maybe a little bit taller and a little bit skinnier. Um, so there we are. And that's kind of where we end. He sort of has to come up with a quick way to get out of Fairy. He does. It's really kind of cool. But like I said, that one is probably the easiest to follow in its own standalone. And then we get into book four, which is entitled The Road to Nowhere. The artist on this one is Paul Johnson. This one, again, really, really, it's really cool. The art throughout the entire thing is amazing, but this one is a little bit darker. Um, extremely cool idea of what the future can be, so I thought that was kind of really interesting. Uh, there are many future paths for us as they go on to talk about, but we often choose the most logical one. So even if I'm somebody who can see into the future and I can see a variety of futures, there's one that's going to be a little bit more fleshed out, one that's going to be a little bit clearer for me to be able to see, and that's because it's the most logical one. It's, it's the one that bases you know on reality today and, and what we're most likely to choose as we see um, uh, paths set in front of us. Tim sees himself as a bringer of destruction uh, with his powers, so we get to see a little bit as to what they're worried about with Tim, um, and Mr. E is going to serve as his guide throughout this whole thing. Uh, featuring the end of times, we do see John Constantine, and he's obviously angry at Tim during this section. Um, because Tim is bringing about the end of magic for this particular time period. Mr. E is a little bit sanctimonious of an individual. He's blind, um, but he can somehow see evil and goodness with people. And he sees himself as someone who is uh, doing his part to make sure that goodness over and goodness and virtue triumph over evil. I don't want to get into his backstory, um, but they do kind of explain to us why he's blinded. You can certainly look it up. It's, a, it's an unfortunate story. It's kind of disgusting, but it's a neat idea. Um, and I don't want to go too much because I don't want to spoil it for anybody. I know the book is 30 years old, but I don't want to spoil kind of what happens in this because this is the only time where the stakes feel really uh, like they've risen during this section. Um, but I love the idea of the future worlds where there's an imbalance of science versus magic. Sometimes science is the one that will take the lead and you see cities that are very constrained by rules and then you have ones where magic is a little bit more of the, the norm and that's where they seem almost fantastical and, and really creative and really neat. Um, they do jump into a future where uh, science and magic are so heavily intertwined that you can't really see where one ends and one begins. And that was kind of a neat idea. I thought that was really, really cool. Um, at the very end of time, we end up, that's, that's kind of where it sort of ends there is at the very, very end of time. Uh, they meet some of the endless from Neil Gaiman's family. Uh, they explain that they're sending the character back to their own time. The characters that we meet here are Destiny and, um, and Death. 
Uh, and Destiny has a great line in there where he says, "I'm the one who gets to, when the when the world is when the world is all ending. I'm the one who gets to turn off the light and shut the door." And I just I thought that was a really cool slick line that they had there. Um, so that's kind of what the character is and how it runs. There's an epilogue of sorts that has Tim deciding whether or not he's going to decide to learn the path of magic. Um, and obviously, like I mentioned before, since there's a continuation of the story with subsequent comics by other artists and other writers, you know, we can pretty much guess where, um, where this book is going to go, what path he decides to choose. Uh, there's some odd comparisons I know to Harry Potter because one of the characters that kind of runs alongside him is an owl. Um, so this predates Harry Potter, uh, I want to say by maybe seven or eight years. Um, so it is obviously maybe something where J.K. Rowling got the idea for Harry Potter. It's a little bit darker than that, obviously. Um, and it, it serves as fan service a little bit through the DC universe. Um, some of the subtle, more DC references, they kind of flew over my head since I'm not as familiar with some of the lesser known characters. But I had fun like getting to know them. But it's odd. It's really weird because I remember reading this very specifically in 1996. And in I really remember loving it. Like I really remember enjoying it and just this idea of it. Um, and it's, but it's really strange because I, when I went to reread it, I thought I was gonna like be able to collect information, and be like, oh yeah, I remember that. I remember that. I remember that. But it didn't. The story felt totally unfamiliar. It was almost as if I were reading it the first time. Um, but what it actually made me do was realize that I put this book up kind of in my mind's eye as uh, being up on a pedestal, and it was good. But it wasn't as good as I remembered it being, which was kind of disappointing, but it's certainly worth a read. I wouldn't want to discourage anybody to not read it by any stretch, uh, but it definitely didn't have the same impact on me that it did when I was 18 and reading it in 96. Um, but what it did do is it just reaffirmed the notion that I have to pick up the Sandman uh, series again. That's one thing that I definitely got into in high school, and I need to kind of read that because that was just a really interesting series. And I found I got super excited when I were characters on there that I definitely recognized. Um, but overall, that's it. So that was what it was. Like I said, it was a short run miniseries that happened in 1990. Um, and it uh, did uh, beget some other books uh, and some other comic book series that followed Timothy Hunter. So he's a character that gets kind of um, discovered a little bit further on down the line as well. Um, but that's the long and the short of it. So that is my my review. All right. So I, I have a question for you. Yes, um, uh, now, I did reread. I'm holding it up right now. The first issue uh, I wanted to read the other six I don't, or the other five. I don't have them, but they refer to the labyrinth. And uh, my question for you about Timothy Hunter, Timothy Hunter and going into the labyrinth, are they referring to just his overall journey that he's about to embark on? Is that what's referenced there? Yeah. So the invisible labyrinth gets kind of mentioned multiple times, but it's kind of done like in poetry form. Um, and it's one of the characters kind of talks about his, discovery of the invisible labyrinth and how he's stuck in the invisible labyrinth. And it, it really, I believe that it is the way that I understood it was that it was like, you know, you're trying to discover magic and, and it's this, it's this thing that, you know, as soon as you answer one question, many others may pop up and it's, you, you're always discovering more and more and you get kind of lost in this thing and you can kind of lose yourself a little bit is, is what I understood it to be. So that's kind of what I got in. That's oh my. what I my cheeky follow-up would be whether or not he ever came across the bog of eternal stench, but I'm going to assume he did not. Um, so this book, when you look at it, especially the first issue, the artist was John Bolton, years ahead of its time. I mean, sure. it, it, uh, going into this and like looking at this, and I, I, I was just like, look, this thing is amazing to look at. Um, 
does John Bolton did did he ever get reemerge uh, throughout like the Sandman line or any more Timothy Hunter or is this like a one time deal for him? I, I I only know Timothy Hunter from this particular line, so I'll have to reread Sandman and see if he he's a character that pops up if he's used in any other comics. Um, but from what I understand, I, I I don't know. I don't believe he does. But so you do know that there is a quasi ongoing books to magic right now, right? Following. No, I didn't realize it was still going on, but I know that they picked it up afterwards. So yeah, there it started in 2018. The last issue dropped in September of 2020. I don't know if COVID kind of put a halt to them releasing issues because nothing's come out, but it's not concluded as far as I know. Um, after reading this, would you be interested in trying to tackle that? There's 23 yeah. issues right now. Yeah, I would definitely check it out. I would think it'd be interesting to see where it goes. Um, I would prefer reading the books that came out after this miniseries, the ones that happened right away to see like how that interpretation would be different from the newer versions of it. But yeah, I would absolutely be willing to pick it up. So I'm glad you brought up the fact that uh, Harry Potter seems to have taken a lot of its cues from Timothy Hunter and not just the owl. When you look at Timothy Hunter in this first, it's not really that difficult to imagine that he looks a lot like Harry Potter. Um, And I remember our co-host Johnny, he was really into this at one point saying that he almost, he was trying to claim, and he was a big Harry Potter fan saying that J.K. Rowling clearly lifted a lot from these these books in her genesis of uh, creating the Hogwarts world and all of that. Um, are, going through, was there more than just the owl and, to me, Thunder's look? Did you find any other thing that sort of went, oh, yeah, that's that looks familiar to me? Uh, maybe a little bit in the fairy world. Like, like you could see possibly a little bit of it um but in all reality like no because it's just just the notion of there being a world that operates like i said alongside our world that Mm -hmm. is happening at the same time but on a different plane i could see that kind of like possibly being it but i i wouldn't say that that was neil gaiman's to own i would imagine there's probably there's that's been done before i mean when you look at it if you're talking about the owl and just timothy hunter's look it could be a coincidence. I mean, I don't know. Everything comes from somewhere. So, I right. mean, I don't know um, where where you draw the line there. I, I was just curious. Um, so, you're going to keep going with this, huh? Yeah, I would. I think I'm going to give it a shot. But I think, like what I said, I, I think it actually has brought about a more of an interest to get back into the Sandman again. So, I think that's what I'm going to use this as kind of an opportunity to. And I'm positive they they've got to have that on comiXology at some point and it's so good yeah yeah it is you know this is neil game stuff from the 90s i mean it is as in terms of graphic novels it is as legendary as they come and i think the 90s in comics the decade started off okay but as the decade wore on the superhero comics were suffering but something like this at dc and vertigo was just so far removed and so different and so original and so new that uh, I think to some degree DC was able to weather the storm based on the strength of what this thing was doing. Yeah. And that's, I think why I got into it too, is because I was probably a little bit, I was less more into um, not as into superheroes necessarily as I was to. And the, the interesting part of it was that it was just a world I'd never understood before and never really got. So it was kind of neat to see, the same man for the very first time and kind of like, I don't know if I could go back and rediscover that for the first time, that'd be awesome. But 
I guess I kind of get to. So yeah, it'll be that. We know the TV series for Sandman's approaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, do we yeah. know? Does Timothy Hunter make an appearance? I don't know. No, but I would assume that a lot of these characters we saw in here are likely to at some point show up. Uh, possibly. I mean, I think, again, this goes back, like, the the Endless in the, the Sandman series, that operated, like, I don't even think, was there, Phil, maybe you can help me remember this one, but he didn't interact with a bunch of DC characters by any stretch of the imagination. No, not that I, you know, it was Vertigo originally. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so what, I, go ahead, Phil. It didn't. It didn't overlap deeply. I know there there were like references, but I mean it was more like your Constantine and and those types more yeah. so than like Superman didn't pop in and like uppercut a dream. Like that's not. Yeah, it's from what I remember because again I. Sandman would pop up in other series, like yes. Batman yeah. and the Flash. Yeah. But none of them ever showed up in the Sandman. I think it's all it's, that that would have that would change the dynamic too much. Like you can have Sandman pop up here and there elsewhere, but you can't have you all of a sudden can't have the red, blue, and yellow showing up in the, the Sandman timeline. Yeah, it's just it's, not sensible. It's just not going to work. Right. I was just looking through the the wiki on uh, Timothy Hunter. I guess he has a Justice League Dark affiliation. Um, do, do you know? Did, did he ever come up with like a costume persona, or is he is he just strictly Timothy Hunter? I remember Johnny mentioning something during the new 52 of Timothy Hunt showing up. He was supposed to play a big role and then new 52 was gone. Yeah, like he was supposed to be like the the world's most powerful wizard or something like that. I'm really certain that was a new 52. Yeah, they were setting him up for big things. I know. Right. And then that didn't happen. And then they released the books of magic. Mm-hmm. series after that tanked if I, if I my memory could be floundering slightly since i wasn't the one reading them that that's that feels right from what johnny had told us matt this was awesome mm-hmm. um thank you for doing that i've i gosh you know is this is a road i haven't gone down um i in so many years and i think i got caught up it's, it's interesting when you were talking about how you looked on it so differently it wasn't as good as you remember but something like this is so original and and, and it there there's an there's an emotion into it like when i read as much as i love the long halloween it's not that difficult to get through the long halloween all right the long halloween pretty much meant the same thing to me it did in 1997 as it did when i redid it in 2017 um but it's not books of magic right I mean, this is going to catch you differently uh, no matter what stage of life you are in. It's going to change its meaning. It will be different. The superhero comics are not going to be different. This will. Yeah, lots of deep meaning. Coming, coming from Neil Gaiman's background, too, I mean, he's, he's obviously a DC writer for sure, and that's kind of been his uh, part of his persona. But he's also written so many novels too. Mm-hmm. On top of it, that that deal with the realm. I mean, I he was one of my biggest uh, authors growing up because um, he was just like, I mean, I've written, I've read Neverwhere multiple times, American Gods multiple times, Good Omens once. I mean, these are just and and these are really good books. I think overall that have been, uh, I don't know, it just his his understanding of the fantasy genre and the way that he allows fantasy to intermingle with reality. It's just, he, he does a really neat, I don't know. He, and, but he does everything kind of tongue in cheek. I know he takes it seriously, um, but he does, I don't know. He's just one of those unique writers. 
Definitely he's, for sure. And he's one of the greatest interviews you'll ever hear. Like right? I could literally listen to him talk about anything for forever. And I'm not he's a, a great Twitter follow too. He's a lot of fun to follow on Twitter. I know I, I am not a celebrity follower, but when I found out that he and Amanda Palmer split up, I'm like, you know what? They're just nothing in my world makes sense. How is this possible? He's been known to uh, see when he releases books, he's been known to um, when he flies through an airport, uh, he'll just go ahead and pick up a book and he'll be like, hey, if you're at Dallas, Fort Worth, I just signed a copy in there. Oh, man. He'll just sign multiple copies of books in the bookstore. And Can you airport. imagine being one of the person that goes in and finds that? Oh, oh I know, God. right? That would be incredible. I know someone scribbled on the book you just paid for. Yeah. <laughs> what jerk did this? Thank you, man. That was fantastic. Yes. Definitely made me want to go back and, and look at Sandman and all that uh, that happened in years. Well, now I think everybody's done a retro, so that's pretty awesome. We're, we're all there. So with that... Next month, I know we are going to, uh, we originally would be doing Free Comic Book Day, but uh, as we mentioned earlier this month, that that is not existing as we know it. So as we find out more about how that's all going to play out, we'll, we'll let all of you know. So in lieu of that, we will be doing our top 10 least favorite comic book movies uh, going into next month, uh, as well as our normal while you, while we were away, I almost messed it up there, Darren. Uh, so... Definitely check back in here in a couple of weeks and, and uh, join us for another night of chatting. Uh, as always, you can follow us on Instagram at Panel Scanners. And for everyone here at the Panel Scanners, until next time, enjoy your comments. <laughs>